Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Hello, welcome to The Rest is History. It's the 27th of December. Uh, and so we continue with our 12 or maybe even 13 days of Christmas. Um, and Dominic, uh, your choice of an anniversary for the 27th of December, I think is a kind of, it's a very seasonally appropriate one, isn't it? Because it, it's themed around port. It is themed around port. So lots of people like port for Christmas. Gives you and, worse um, hangovers, doesn't it? No, I think that's <sighs> quite wrong. I, I just smell port and I get a hangover. So I think you can drink a lot of port and not get, my brother once drank an entire bottle of port while having a bath. <laughs> and he, <laughs> did he, and, well he presumably didn't drown in his bath no he i think it was a bottle of white port he told me and okay, he said he got out of the bath and he felt great <laughs> and then, dr johnson say port was the drink for heroes or something something like well we're going to come on to port like drinkers that. uh i've got some port a good fact about port drinkers later on so port very popular in england of course in britain uh not so popular elsewhere not so popular in the states and whatnot um, though i think it's taking off a little bit but why? Why is it so popular in in England? Do you know, Tom? Is it our, our old alliance with Portugal? It kind of is. So it comes back to something that happened on the 27th of December, 18, 18, 1703, um, which is called the Methuen Treaty. So we're in the war of Spanish succession. So one of the kind of endless wars that we fought between the sort of mid 17th century and the late 18th century, well, Waterloo with France, basically war for, you know, it's like a colossal world war, isn't it, I suppose. Um, and Portugal has actually been allied with the French, believe it or not. What? So, so, yes, I know. I thought, they, I thought they were always our allies. This is, we. I know we have some Portuguese listeners and perhaps they can explain themselves. It's um, shocking behaviour. If they're members of the Rest is History Club, they should declare <laughs> themselves on the Discord chat <laughs> and explain their conduct. Because at the beginning of this war, uh, Portugal is allied with France. Now, that's ruined my Christmas. Um, England gets most of its wine, obviously, from France. Um, so it's sort of shipped over the channel and, and stuff. Um, but obviously, because we're at war with the French, we're not getting so much wine and so on. And so people are looking for alternative suppliers. Is that because there's an official state boycott from France? No, or I is don't it because th- we're patriotically refusing to drink it? I think it's just more, yeah, I think it's sort of hassle. Hassle, patriotism. Yeah. I don't think you could even enforce. Uh, I mean, there's lots, there's lots of most of the heyday of smuggling. So yeah. whether a boycott could even be be that strictly enforced. And, um, and Dominic, we have uh, an episode on smuggling coming up. In we do. Year. Very exciting. So we'll yeah. be discovering the answer to that question in the new year in our smuggling episode. But um, English travellers have already been to Portugal to suss out the wine trade there. So in 1678, a Liverpool wine merchant sent two representatives to a place called Viana do Castelo, which is just north of Oporto, or Porto. And... Um, they went to, a, uh, this will please you, Tom, they went to an abbey yeah. called at Lamego, which is in the um, the sort of port valleys, the great valleys of the kind of Douro. Um, and the abbot there gave them what they called a very agreeable, sweetish and extremely smooth wine, which they have fortified with grape spirit. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a fortified wine, so it's port. And they say, oh, this is very nice. And they buy the whole lot of the abbey's stocks. Wow, that is enthusiasm, isn't it? Yeah, and bring it home. So there's already they they already know that there's some good stuff out there, and because it's fortified, 
it will last longer and survive the sea voyage better. So it's also better for taking to the colonies. Yeah, of course. Interestingly. So, uh, 1703, the Portuguese don't like being allied to the French. This shows them in a very good light. Yeah, they they Um, shouldn't. And they're keen to change sides. And the guy who is the Britain's ambassador to Portugal is a man called Sir John Methuen, who is also, who combines this job, interestingly, with being Lord Chancellor of Ireland. Ooh. So, I mean, well, that's, well, that's an a, obvious job pairing. Well, it's a sort of Boris Johnson cabinet pairing, <laughs> yes. isn't it? Yeah, you're Minister yes. for Equalities and also yeah. Minister. And Trade Minister. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, exactly. It's very much a kind of 21st century kind of <laughs> yeah. appointment. But I mean, pro- possibly easier to do in the 21st century than the early 18th century. Yes, I should imagine so. I mean, I mean the Bay of Biscay, I mean, it's a rough sea. Yeah, you're not going to be wanting to be sailing between like as Lisbon we will and Dublin find out when we come to my choice on a regular in basis the, in the now, second half of this podcast. You know why I think you would like this, Tom? Do you know where Sir John Methuen was from? Uh, Wiltshire. He was from Wiltshire. Salisbury. He, he was from Bradford on Avon. Oh, was he? Yeah, wonderful uh, Anglo-Saxon but, town. But do you know what Jonathan Swift said about him? Uh, something rude, I imagine. A profligate Possibly rogue involving poo. A profligate rogue without religion or morals, cunning enough but without abilities of any kind. Uh, Swift would be so good to have around at the moment. He'd be a great guest for this podcast. That'd oh, be wonderful. Um, you? Anyway, read about us. He, he's dead, so he, I can't, <laughs> well, can't pretend. So, um, so anyway, Sir John negotiates this treaty with the Portuguese called the Port Wine Treaty, where they basically say they'll switch sides. Uh, Brit- the English will sell wool and cloth to the Portuguese. Tax this is free. very medieval. Very medieval. And we will... Uh, buy wine from Portugal and we'll put less duty on it than wine that comes from France, a third less duty. So this is tremendously good news for people who like port. And then the next few years, you get the establishment of so many of these kind of classic English port houses. You see them in Villanova de Gaia on the other side of the river from, from Porto. So Taylor's, uh, Graham's, Coburn's, Sandyman's, all these Coughburn's. kind of great houses. Yeah. 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 Um, have you ever been to Porto, Tom? No, I haven't. I'd love to go to Portugal. I've actually only been to Portugal once. It's number one on my list of places I want to go to. Portugal is a very fine country, I think. Stopped off in Lisbon. Lisbon is a fantastic Uh, city. Which I thought was beautiful. And the whole of of, of Portugal, it's just waiting to go. Yeah. So there's a place in Lisbon called the, it's called the Port Wine Institute. And it's basically like a gentleman's club. Not a little (laughs) nod back to our gentleman's clubs episode. And you can go in there. They've got like a huge wine list, which is just ports. Well, I imagine as a member of Brooks's, it's they very welcome good. me with open arms. It's very good. Yeah, they'll love you, Tom. Yeah. Especially if you go in your nice suit that you wore to Brooks's, which oh, I think I is feel... a is a is a bespoke suit, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It if is. you yeah. if you go in your bespoke suit, I think they'll be yeah. very impressed. Yeah. Um, I think they've got your books in Portugal, don't they? Are they translated into Portuguese? Yeah, some of them. I remember yeah. going into that. Must have made your day. I, so not long after I'd first met you, we went to Lisbon on holiday. And we went into this gorgeous bookshop, you know, old-fashioned bookshop. Mm. And my heart apps sank like a stone <laughs> because they had almost like a whole wall of Rubicon or Persian fire yeah, or something. It's, it's it not awful. enough that you succeed, your friends must fail. <laughs> it was awful. So, Ruin know, the holiday. So true. Yeah. Anyway, back to, back to the Methuen Treaty. Uh, it's very successful. So by 1717, um, Portuguese wines account for two-thirds of all the wines um, imported into England. And do you know how many wines in England were French? 5%. 4%, Tom. Very 4%. close. 4%. 4%. Very poor. How patriotic so, is that? Very patriotic. Very impressive. So port became, in the 18th century, it was known as the Englishman's drink. And um, and was this good for Portugal as well? 
very good because they're making loads of money. Yeah. yeah. They're giving lots of people employment and they're very happy. So the 18th they, century, Britain is kind of booming, becoming the economic superpower. Yeah. Uh, buying, so, yes. Yeah, so, so spending good, all our it? money on ports. Hmm. So social clubs, obviously, we've talked a lot about clubs in recent episodes because, of course, our own club. But the clubs, I don't know where, I think this is an innovation that we should introduce in the rest is history club because clubs would tout their membership of what were called three bottle men. So mm-hmm. a three bottle man, unlike my brother, was a man <laughs> who could drink three bottles of port <laughs> in one sitting without right. disgracing himself. So the playwright Sheridan, he was a three bottle man. He as was a member was, of Brooks's. As was, well, as was Pitt the Younger. So was Pitt the Younger. Yeah. So they were all in Brooks's, necking three bottles of, sh- of uh, port. port. Three bottles of port. I mean, and how does sh- do you know how Sherry ties in with this? Uh, well, Sherry's, ob- Sherry's from Spain. It's not from Yeah, Portugal. it is. Jerez. Jerez, exactly. Yeah. But I wondered, I'd- was it a kind of similar thing? Maybe we could investigate that. Well, it's a, it's a similarly fortified wine, isn't it? But It um, is. And there's a kind of similar close link between English traders and... Yeah, you know, the suppliers in in Spain. Maybe there is. we could we can. We should that. definitely do a podcast. It's been said to us several times by people on Twitter and so on that we should do a wine. podcast on drinks. Yeah, on yeah. wine, on tea, on yeah. Okay, um, well, because they are they that. have fascinating histories. So as you, you as, as a little be able to tell, we probably need to do some research <laughs> before we actually <laughs> yeah, embark on that. That's true. But I agree. I mean, that is a fascinating. That is a fascinating theme. Good. Um, and I. I mean, as I said, I, I basically I can a sip of port and I get. Yeah, you're not a three bottle no, man. I'm all. not. What the hell are you so, doing? So, so, so while you while you were giving this wonderful disquisition on port, I was actually checking the Doctor Johnson quote. What you weren't listening? No, I was I was multitasking. Um, and the actual quote is: "Claret is the liquor for boys, port for men, but he who aspires to be a hero must drink brandy." Oh, so yeah. we should maybe include one brandy as well. We should, yes, on our future sometime. Okay, well, that was fascinating, Dominic. And um, I mentioned uh, the Bay of Biscay um, yeah. and how violent the, the waves can be there, um, how bad the seasickness that you get sailing in a ship across the Bay of Biscay. And that ties in with um, uh, my choice of an anniversary, uh, which is 1831, and it's Charles Darwin setting off from Plymouth Sound out into uh, the Atlantic, down through the Bay of Biscay, on the Beagle. So uh, we'll come to um, Darwin setting sail on the Beagle after the break. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kaye, US Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics US, brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people (laughs) will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. Tom Holland has set the scene very nicely for the voyage of Charles Darwin on the Beagle. Now, of course, Tom, you know that Charles Darwin was a great Salopian like me, a son of Shropshire. Yes, I do. So I think Shropshire, uh, I think there are the big four. There are the big four that people talk about. There's uh, Charles Darwin. There's Robert. There's there's Clive, Clive of India. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Carol Decker. There's Carol Decker of Tapau. Yeah. Okay. And Sambrook. And there's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, no offense to, uh, no offense to Clive, <laughs> fans of Tapau or you, but right. I think of, of those four, Shocking. I think of those four, Charles Darwin is probably top, top Sopian. Well, top Sopian. I mean, Charles Darwin is a, a massive, massive figure. <laughs> and he's a massive figure, obviously, because of um, theory of evolution, all that kind of stuff origin of species, everything. And I, I absolutely think that we should do a podcast um, on Darwin and perhaps specifically on the voyage of the Beagle because um, it, Darwin went on, Darwin said by far, it was that the voyage of the Beagle was by far the most important event in his life because before he left on the Beagle, he was basically a man who was in training to become a clergyman. So he yeah. was from the kind of prosperous background, wasn't entirely sure what to do. So I suppose a bit like today, kind of posh people with good educational backgrounds who don't quite know what to do. I mean, what do they do? Become lawyers or management consultants or something. Um, Back then, basically, you become a clergyman. So because a clergyman was kind of it was it was a nice job. You'd have a a nice rectory. Um, You'd have time to to to, uh, follow your pursuits. And in Darwin's case, those pursuits basically revolved around, first of all, natural history. So he was a great enthusiast for beetles. He loved kind of, you know, collecting beetles. Yeah. Um, he, a uh, great botanist. I mean, he loved it all. I thought of somebody else who came from Shrewsbury who was... Uh, Dominic... Uh, Wilfred Owen. He was very interested in beetles and fossils and collecting things. Okay, anyway, well, he, probably, he's, a, he probably comes second to Darwin. That's a I complete sidetrack. Yeah, okay. So uh, Darwin's very interested in natural history, but he's also very recently become interested in geology. And this okay. is a time where the where, where the study of geology is it's it, it kind of explosive infancy. People are going out into the wilds of Devon or Wales or Scotland, um, and they're mapping out the history of rock. And Darwin is obsessed by this, um, and really that's what he wants to devote his life to. But the 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 you know the kind of the academic posts, the careers that would enable him to follow a career in natural history or in geology aren't open. So essentially, the clergy is the only only way in. So he's feeling he's feeling kind of a, a, a bit depressed about that. Um, you know, ideally he'd like not to become a clergyman. He'd like to devote his life to studying the natural world. But but you know, there's no you know, there's no kind of opportunity. And then in 1831, early summer of 1831, opportunity does come knocking in the form of uh, an invitation. 
to go on board a ship called the Beagle as basically a kind of gentleman's companion. Who's the gentleman? So the the gentleman is um, a man called Robert Fitzroy, who is the captain of the Beagle. Um, And he is, he's very, he's of impeccable background. Um, He is, uh, he's, he's a stern Tory. And this is a time of great political convulsion because the massive debate about the Reform Act that's going, you know, roiling Parliament all through 1831. Um, he is the nephew of Lord Castlereagh, who was the Foreign Secretary. Yeah. Um, negotiating with the Congress with, of Vienna. Not popular not with Byron or Shelley. Yeah. yeah. Um, and who notoriously committed suicide. So he slit his throat. And Fitzroy is, is nervous about this because he's, he's worried that, you know, does de- is depression something that runs in the family? And the reason he's particularly worried about this is that the um, uh, the captain of the Beagle who had gone on the previous voyage down to South America, which is where the Beagle is planning to go, um, he'd, he'd got to the Magellan States and he found it so depressing and boring that he'd, he'd shot himself. Oh, God, that's not really so, a recommendation. So Fitzroy is is nervous about this. He's he you know he doesn't want to be the only gentleman on the boat because as a gentleman he can't you know invite people who aren't gentlemen to dine with him. So that that would be miserable. You yeah. Know, to, and the, the plan is that this is going to be a two year voyage to kind of map out the coastline of South America, perhaps even longer, perhaps go around the world. Which in in the in the event is what they do. And in, in the event, it's a five year voyage. Um, he is uh, so, so he's, he he wants a companion, and that's basically the prime consideration. But on top of that, because they're going to these um, strange lands with strange flora, strange fauna, strange geology, um, the ideal is someone who could um, tick all those boxes. And basically, Darwin is the most perfect person imaginable. He's of the right social standing, and he's of um, you know he's got the right kind of scientific expertise. And is he so, quite a gregarious person, though, Tom? He is quite a gregarious person, but he's a Whig. Right. So, um, so and, and this is a time about politics. Well, this is a, this is a time of heated political debate. So that's that's a shadow. But that there are all kinds of shadows that hang over um, before Darwin uh, gets signed up. The first problem is that his father doesn't approve. His father thinks that this is equivalent of you know going off on a gap year or something. Um, you know, don't go yeah. off. You know, <laughs> don't go off to Thailand or something to smoke pot on a beach. <laughs> you know, get a decent job, get a yeah. haircut. It's that kind of attitude. And it's, um, it's Darwin's uncle who recognises the opportunity that this, rep, you know, that, that this presents and how perfect it is and how absolutely wonderfully it maps onto all Darwin's interests. And so he basically kind of pushes it and Darwin's dad is, is one round. The next problem is um, Darwin goes rushing down to London to meet Fitzroy, who says, oh, I've offered it to a friend of mine. Sorry, but, you know, you're next in line and darwin is thrown into despair absolute misery he'd kind of completely committed himself to going and then the next day um fitzroy comes around and says my friend doesn't want to do it to oh. come. and this is and this is all, all this is all in london it's all against the backdrop of the coronation of william the fourth and this kind of great convulsive political debate yeah. about should reform go through so it's a time of, of, of immense excitement and it, it's a time where uh, disagreements between Whigs and Tories would be at their most electric. So it's, you know, it's kind of like imagining so Brexit. a, a Brexiteer yeah. and, a, a, and a Remainer having yeah. to go on a ship for five years together. Nigel Farage and AC Rayleigh. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a great, it's a great TV but, show, that. But um, I, I think maybe because because Darwin is so desperate to go, uh, maybe because Fitzroy is so desperate to have, you know, someone go with him, 
yeah who wants to go um they they basically they they kind of agree to get on with each other uh, and and it's agreed that darwin will go so uh, that's all very exciting um so darwin now has to get ready um he has to ready himself so he he hairs around england saying goodbye to all his friends talking to um various scholars who can kind of provide him with expertise so he um he he buys the most up to date microscope he buys um the best shotguns because of course a crucial part of natural history is shooting animals <laughs> skinning them and then stuffing them so taxidermy is a is a vital part of of natural history at this point um he invests in a copy of uh, the principles of geology which is uh, the first volume um by um charles lyell uh which is this kind of groundbreaking text which argues that uh, rather than the earth having been shaped by uh, you know floods and apocalypses as the bible suggests that actually the processes of geological change are incredibly incredibly slow incredibly incredibly profound um and this will be very very important for darwin over the course of the five year voyage because he will be reflecting on just how profound the processes of change can be yeah. and obviously he starts applying these principles from the field of geology to that of natural history. And that's yeah. kind of a crucial part of, of what will inform his, his theory of evolution. Um, so he's, he's getting all his stuff together um, and uh, he, he gets taken by, um, by Fitzroy then to, to go and look at the Beagle. So they go from London, they go on a kind of steam packet around Kent along the South coast and they arrive at Devonport. Uh, and this is where the, the kind of, the, the next blow to Darwin's confidence comes because the beagle turns out to be really tiny. Um, so how big? How how big is the beagle? Uh, it is. I've noted it down here. Let me see. It's ninety feet by twenty four, and yeah, there long. are there are two cat two tiny cabins. One of which you know which they will have to share. And basically, Darwin's quite a big man, so he's difficult to get cram himself into the hammock. So oh he's kind of thinking, oh, you know, two years, three years. Yeah. Do I really want to do this? And he kind of havers for a couple of days. And then he thinks, oh, no, damn it. Of course I do. And then he becomes as enthusiastic as ever. Um, and uh, the months go by. He's been rushing around, sourcing all his gear. He's got to arrive um, uh, in uh, in Plymouth, which the ship is going to sail from. Um, and they're due to sail at, on the 5th of November. So uh, Guy Fawkes Day. Um but Darwin arrives there on the 24th of October. Absolutely terrible storms. They just kind of blow and blow and blow. And the the leaving date has to be cancelled. Um, and they just blow all the way through November. And then on the 21st of November, one of the sailors, so there are, there are um, uh, 73 people in all are going. Uh, yeah. And one of them gets blown overboard and drowns. And okay. Darwin has a kind of massive panic attack. And, you know, later, all through his life, Darwin will be prone to panic attacks. Um, these kind of strange uh, stomach complaints that grip him all the way through his life. And this is kind of early onset of his, of his um, panic attacks. And he's like, oh, should I do it? Should I do it? But again, he thinks, yeah, of course, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. Finally, the 10th of December, there's a clear day. And Fitzroy says, OK, we're going to let's go. Let's go, boys. They all board, sail out into the channel. Terrible, terrible weather. Uh, and Darwin discovers that he can't cope with, with storms. God. And he, it's projectile vomiting all across his cabin. If I was Fitzroy, I'd have got rid of him. I mean, <laughs> I mean he's, 
It's it's awful. They've only got uh, two cabins, a ninety foot ship. I mean, the last person you want is like a, a big man who doesn't a big fit man in the hammock. Yeah, who, who doesn't fit who, in the hammock? Who gets seasick and also uh, banging on about Brexit. <laughs> yes, well, he's not banging on about because it's the other way around, isn't about, it? He's the Remainer. He's the, right. He's, he's banging the on about the Great Reform Act. <laughs> yes. Well, he's not. He's banging on about geology and stuff, which which Fitzroy is interested in. Anyway, so the next day, it's the weather's so bad that Fitzroy turns around and they go back. And yeah. Darwin has his clothes washed and, you know, the cabin is scrubbed <laughs> and um, they all agree to forget about the seasickness. Um, 21st, another clear day. So Fitzroy says, OK, let's go. Let's set off. They set off. The weather is calm. Darwin goes to bed. He fits himself, squeezes himself, arse first into his hammock. He has a good night's sleep. Right. He wakes up. He, he reaches for reaches for his compass, studies it, and to his consternation realizes that they're sailing back to England. <laughs> and uh, the reason for this is that a terrible new storm is approaching them, <laughs> sweeping down the channel. So they dock in Plymouth. The storm comes in, and all over they have a miserable Christmas because it looks like they're never going to set sail. And then finally, on the twenty seventh, off they set. And they, they head out and they, they get into the Bay of Biscay. And in the Bay of Biscay, it, terrible, terrible weather. Darwin is just kind of sick day after day after day. But they keep heading southwards. You know, they cross the equator. They reach South America. They reach Tierra del Fuego. They reach the Galapagos Islands. They cross um, the Pacific. Uh, they you know, head five-year voyage. They come back to England. And Darwin comes back loaded down with all kinds of specimens of butterflies and the skeletons of giant ground sloths that he's picked up in South America and um, beautiful feathers and all kinds of things. But above all, he's come back with the thoughts and theories that will come with an idea that will change the world. Very good. Tom, I cannot believe that, that what this confirms to me is how foolish you are in not reading those Aubrey Matterin novels of Patrick O'Brien. Well, I so so you I, tell that story and it's yeah, pure I, Patrick O'Brien. Well, so the film which I saw, what, what's it, Master and Commander? Yeah, the the the, the guy, the one played by um, the Paul one who's not Russell Crowe by Paul Bettany, uh, is is seemed to me pretty clearly modelled on Darwin because they well, go sort to, of yeah, they go to the Galapagos Islands, don't they? Yes, and they I do. Think, and the relationship, I think, I, I, I imagine, I mean, because the Voyage of the Beagle is a great book, you know, he writes it up. Mm. And Fitzroy writes an account as well. I imagine that that must perhaps be lurking in the background of, of maybe those, of those maybe. novels. Um, yeah. I mean, they're set a bit later, uh, but not that long. I mean, it's well, it's sort of thirty, forty years between the two events, I suppose, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and um, you know, there's kind of uh, they they get fired at, I think, in the River Plate. Um, the Royal Navy is there, kind of keeping yeah. an eye on British commercial interests there, and they they get shot at. Um, you know, Darwin. Yeah, I think I think there's kind of possibility there that I think you that's should make it your New Year's one of your New Year's resolutions well, to have another stab. At the well, maybe. I mean, the, the relationship ultimately between um, Fitzroy and Darwin does become quite combustible because actually the first huge row that they have is about slavery. Fitzroy is a defender of slavery. Right. Uh, Darwin, yeah. of course, who comes from a family of abolitionists, yeah. is appalled by that. Um, so there's 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 all kinds of kind of fascinating dynamics fascinating kind of aspects to that we should, we should over definitely and above. yeah it's a really re- and, and and the book to read on it uh, which i got all the information from this um is uh biography of darwin by adrian desmond and james moore which is not just the best biography of darwin it's one of the, the great you know all-time biographies it's a wonderful book um so i think we should definitely look to do that
Very good. All right. Okay. Well, that's a jolly note on which to end. Um, lots of reading. And yeah, and I hope that that's the kind of episode that makes you glad that you're not on a <laughs> a, a cramped, on a, in a cramped a and tiny cabin in the Bay of Biscay. Yeah, because, of course, by the time this goes out, we may be in some form of lockdown. Um, yeah, we may be. So, you know, uh, no matter how grim it is, you're not on the beagle with Darwin being sick in your face. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it swings around. Projectile vomiting. Yeah. Right. Uh, we will see you tomorrow for more exciting anniversaries in the 12 days or 13 days of Christmas. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. dot com.